So we're talking about marriage. And uh, today we're going to talk about the priority of marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives. I read this to Tina this morning just so she'd get a hold of it. (laughs) Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I read it just like that. It didn't help me one bit. (laughs) Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word because we all know how dirty wives are. (laughs) I didn't tell her that part this morning. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is one thing we know about marriage for sure. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So this is the third week. The first week we talked about uh, where Paul says to us, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul is assuming that to do marriage, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Because marriage is hard. Marriage is a challenge because two different people from two different families join together to create a new family. So not only are you different because you're men and women, and boy, are men and women different. Right. We're not just different biologically. We're different in the way we think about so many things. Men and women are different. But to do marriage, because it is a challenge and because life does bring challenges, because things happen and changes happen, that Paul is assuming that if you're going to do marriage, you're going to have to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. That you're going to have, what does that mean? It means that you're going to ask God for help. We're going to ask God to enable us to do what we don't do naturally. And what we do naturally is we do selfishness really, really good. But to unselfishly serve your spouse, we don't do really, really good. So it is a a challenge for us to to live unselfishly. So we need to slay selfishness in our own heart. The only way we can do that is with the help of the Holy Spirit. Then last week we talked about is marriage just a piece of paper? Because that is kind of the mentality today. You know, what's the big deal? Why do I need to get married? Well, what God says, God wants you to get married because he believes it's a covenant. God's big about covenants. <laughs> uh, we have the old covenant, now we have a new covenant. God's get big about keeping covenants, and he wants us to be covenant-keeping people. He wants you to get married because he wants you to make a covenant promise. And a covenant promise in marriage, the reason you stand before God and family and friends and make a covenant promise, 
you don't make a promise that I'm going to love you right now. I want to marry you, and I'm going to love you right now. You make a promise, I want to marry you, and I'm going to love you when it gets tough. You make a promise of future love. And we learned something important about love is that understanding that love, from a biblical standpoint, is not a feeling because you can't command feelings. God couldn't command you to feel something, but he does command you to do something. So he commands us to do the actions of love. So as Christians, what we believe is that we believe that what we believe, what we believe drives our actions and that our feelings follow. In other words, we're not led around by our feelings because if you're led around by your feelings, it's going to change every day because you're going to have good days and bad days. So today we want to talk about the priority of marriage. Marriage is a priority. And what does that mean? So Paul says in verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And this is a quote. He is quoting the original text where God is talking to Adam and Eve. And God says, that is why a man leaves father and mother and is united to his wife. And we know that he's not speaking this for Adam and Eve because they didn't have father and mother. Right? Adam and Eve were a father and mother eventually, but they didn't have father and mother, so they didn't have to leave anything. They, they didn't have to leave an old family. They didn't, have, they didn't have to leave family issues. But just being man and woman, just being male and female, made marriage tough enough for them. Right? So they leave father and mother, and the man is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. God is saying this is the prior, priority of marriage. So what we're talking about is that marriage is a primary relationship that supersedes all others. It takes precedence over every other relationship. You should let no other relationship come before your spouse. Jimmy Evans in the book, The Four Laws of Love, says the greatest threat to most marriages isn't from bad things, but good things out of priority. Most often it is from relationships with family or friends that an intrude upon the priority of the marriage and create legitimate jealousy in one or both spouses. That's an interesting point. You know, we talk about legitimate jealousy. Uh, There is a place for that. So one of the areas is that parents, uh, you know, in leaving your parents, you are creating a new identity unlike anyone that's ever existed before. You are leaving and uniting. You are leaving your parents. And if you haven't left your parents financially, or if you're financially dependent on your parents, uh, they're, they're taking priority away from the relationship. Now, that doesn't mean your parents can't give you money. Everybody wants your parents to give you money if they can. That'd be great. But they, if they're going to give you money, they need to give you money without controlling you. And that's sometimes very difficult for us to do. We want to give money with control. And I've, I've, I'm sure you've observed this. You've seen this happen. If you haven't left your parents emotionally, if you're emotionally dependent on them, you can't make a decision without their approval, then your your spouse is not your priority, your parents are. If, If you haven't left, if your anger or unforgiveness still controls you, if you're still angry at your parents over what they did, they're still controlling you. If, they're still, if you're still troubled about your past, then you're still controlled by your past. And so if you want to make it a priority, then you've got to forgive your parents for their past mistakes. Every parent makes mistakes. 
I made mistakes. We made mistakes. Tina made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> we both made a lot of mistakes in parenting. And, and we both have, have many, many times had to ask our children to forgive us, and I'm sure that's not done yet. But if, if, you, if you have anger and unforgiveness in your heart for that past experience, your parents' past failures, it is controlling you today. You're reacting today. So you haven't left until you forgive uh, a lot of your life will be a reaction to the past. That's, all, that's important in so many areas. If you don't forgive the things that have happened in your past, then your past is controlling you, not your present. You're not letting God direct you. You're not letting God guide you. You're letting the hurts of your past, or pat hurts, control your life. <laughs> or past hurts. No other relationship is more important than your children compared to your spouse. But... Your relationship with your spouse must be more important and have a greater priority in life than your children. I mean, your children are very important. And one thing that's happened today, because there's so many marriages that, that end in divorce, the children become the constant. And so you've got two sets of parents that are getting too much uh, value and affirmation and self-esteem from their children. They're looking for their children to give them value. So uh, if you love your children more than you love your spouse, that's a problem. If you get more out of your love for your children than you do for your spouse, that's a problem. If you get your self-esteem needs met and feel more loved, if, in other words, if your value is determined on your children's... Did you know that people who abuse their children... You would think that people who abuse their children are people that don't love their children. But what is wrong with people who abuse their children is that they're asking too much from their children. And when don't, their children don't meet their emotional needs the way they want them to, then they react, overreact. In anger because they they expect too much from their children and that's a problem uh, and you're in trouble if you're expecting too much from your children if you're trying to get your value your self-esteem and your love from your children then you have put placed a burden on your children and not only are, are you in trouble but your children are in trouble you've created a troubling dependent relationship uh, on your children, which is crazy. See, your children are supposed to be dependent upon you. But you're not supposed to be dependent upon your children. You know what your goal in life with your children is? To get rid of them. I mean, that's the, that's the job. The job is to mature your children to a place where they can be self-sufficient. And <laughs> Babylon B. I don't know if you if you if you follow Babylon B, which is a satirical group, which crazy humor, and you may not like it, but satire is really is my love language. Uh, but they said today said the the reason millennials are not having children like other generations is because their parents can't afford it. Uh, <laughs> so. 
What about your career? I mean, if your career is more important than your spouse, it will your marriage. And, you know, we, we have to work. To, you have to work. Right? Yeah. Found that to be like pretty much a given. You got to work. You have to work to take, take care of your family. But you'll always have to strive if you work, and especially if you work for yourself, if you're building a business, or you're working on, on a commission basis, where the more you work, the more money you're going to make. And so you always will have to strive for a work-family balance. You're always, you're always going to have to fight for it. Because the place that you work for doesn't care about your family. They may say, I mean, maybe there may be an unusual I mean, we do here, I think, care for people's families, but there's, they don't. And so you have, you have to create boundaries, and, and uh, sometimes they really fight you on that. I mean, you know, they, they want you to work as many hours as you work, especially if they can get you to work for free. Uh, so uh, you have to always strive for a work-family balance because, you know, Ecclesiastes 10:19 says this. This is a Bible verse you ought to have on your refrigerator. A feast is made for laughter, and wine makes life merry. And money is the answer for everything. Doesn't it feel, I mean, doesn't it feel that way? You know, all our problems would be solved, we just had a little more money. So that, that's the struggle. We struggle with that. So what about the other things? Uh, hobbies. Can hobbies be detrimental to your marriage? Yes, they can. I mean, what if you spend too much time, what if you spend too much time hunting? Uh, fishing. Competitive shopping. I don't know if y'all have heard of that. It's, Tina's won several times. She's got a gold in competitive shopping. Uh, she's really good at it. Uh, golf. I mean, golf takes six hours. It's just, you know, it's crazy. I mean, I'm not going to criticize golf because I like to play golf. But, but and then wa- just watching sports. It's not that, none of this is wrong. It's wrong if it's de- detrimental to your relationship. Because you can overdo. It's so, we're overdoers. Yeah. I mean, there are some people that during football season, they don't miss any game of anybody. They watch every football game, every college football game, every professional football game. So they've got Saturdays filled and Sundays filled and Mondays filled and Monday nights and Thursday nights and Wednesday nights. And and then they spend all day listening to talk radio, talking about all the things that everybody did. Yeah. And golf takes a long time. It's a stupid game. Any, but anything, here's the thing. It's not any particular thing. Even a good thing can become a bad thing. What about social media? You know, Instagram and Facebook and all the other stuff that's out there. And the, the, the time that's spent on all of that stuff. Just, just the time we spend on our cell phones. I, when I opened up my iPad today, it, it, it said, you spent 13 minutes a day less this week looking at your iPad than you did last week. It's like, Okay, what are you? Is that was I? Am I being disciplined? Uh, I didn't spend enough time looking at my iPad. What? What is the deal? It's it's crazy. We you know we're we're just we're tied to our phones, and so a lot of times it just <laughs> sometimes you can't have a conversation with people anymore. They're looking at their phones. Amen. I mean, they have their phones with them all the time in all situations in everything. And so you, have, you just need to be careful. Sometimes you, you need to create some space in your life where you are 
phone free. You don't have to be reachable 24 hours a day. None of you are doctors. Well, there's a couple of you are doctors, but even, even doctors aren't reachable 24 hours a day. You know, it's a, we used to get in a car. It's the craziest thing in all the world. We used to get in a car and drive to California, and we didn't have a phone. And think of all the things that could have happened. And they, sometimes they did happen. But you, you know, you survived. You, you know, used up one of those pay phones. It probably didn't work. You find a pay phone, and somebody's pulled the receiver off of it. Uh, you know, uh, just becomes so dependent. Uh, video games. Oh, yeah, he said that. <laughs> video games. Video games, I mean, video games themselves are not evil, but man, you can burn a lot of time on a video game when your family's sitting around uh, while you're capturing, you know, villages or winning wars or whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, and so it's not a priority. You have to make, here's the thing about marriage. It has to be a priority. It has to be a You have to put it before other is this mic cutting in and out, or is it just me? It's cutting in and out. So, Tim, would you get, go in there and get my other mic, just, and we'll swap out? Because that bugs me. Probably doesn't bug you. It's like, oh, he's, I can't hear him. That's great. <laughs> Marriage relationship must have a priority over every other relationship. And if your spouse says to you, I'll just do this. So I had a sonogram. Had a sonogram the other day. And uh, the person who had done the sonogram had visited the church. So I don't think she's been back after she saw my belly. It was was too much. Literally too much. (laughs) Yeah. So the marriage relationship has to have a priority over all other relationships. And so if your spouse says to you, "I I don't feel like I'm number one in your life. I feel like you spend too much time on this or this or this. And you feel like they're wrong. Who's right? They are. If your spouse says to you, I don't feel like I'm the number one priority in your life, they're right because that's what they feel. It's like someone saying to you, ooh, I'm cold, and you say, no, you're not because I'm not. (laughs) What, What do you mean? I'm hungry. No, no, you're not. I just had a hamburger. I'm not hungry. What do you, it doesn't matter. I, I'm hungry. I'm cold. I feel left out. And so we, we have to respect that. We have to listen to that. So if your spouse is saying to you, I don't feel like I'm a priority. I think the children are more important to you than I am. Then you need to honor that. I feel like your work is more important to you than I am. I feel like, I feel like you're spending too much time with watching whatever you're watching. 
or doing whatever you're doing, then you need to honor that. You, need to make, you have to work it make it a priority. You can have a great marriage. Jesus said to the Laodicean church, I have somewhat against you because you've left your first love. He said, but the way to get your first love back is you do the things you did at first. And what you did at first is you spent time together and you talked, you communicate, communicated together and you spent time together. So then he says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. and The two will become one flesh. What does one flesh mean? Joel says in Joel 2.28, it says this in, in the ASV, so you'll, get the, you'll see the picture. It says, come to pass afterward that I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh. Same word. Become one flesh. Then if you look at the NIV, it's translated this way, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. So when it's talking about flesh, it's not talking about bodies, it's talking about people, persons. It's saying that flesh, you'll become two, two people, will become one people. Marriage is a union so profound, profound that you virtually become a new single person. become a new entity. Your family unit is a new entity, unlike anything that's experienced before. If you, if, you know, I've got Eric Crystal here in the front row. And uh, if you look at, at Curtis and Renata's life and Ed and Debbie's life, their parents, Eric and Crystal's life is totally different. There are elements of both. There's a little bit of crazy from both sides. Uh, but they're a, totally, they're a totally unique, how they do life, how they do parenting how, is, is totally unique and different, even though how they were raised. And we all do that. We, in other words, part of, of marriage is that you're creating new, a new identity. You're becoming a new person. <laughs> Tina and I have been, you know, the Randy and Tina that existed 43 years ago have become kind of a Tandy and Rena. Did you, I mean, do you get that? So in other words, we're, so now when we sit down at a restaurant and she orders or I order, we say, I'll have, I'll, yeah, I'll take that. Just make it two. You know, in other words, we, we've, we've, we've become, we've changed. She's trying to fix me and I'm trying to fix her. Or, or we've changed each other. We didn't really fix each other. That doesn't work, by the way. <clears throat> Let me just throw that out there. So, so it's talking about how you're going to become one flesh. It's also talking about sex. This is talking about the sexual relationship. Sex and marriage confirms the covenant. We talk about marriage as a covenant relationship. The words be united to his wife are covenant words. The two will become one flesh is the sexual fulfillment of that covenant. Every time you have sex with your spouse, you are renewing the covenant. The Bible sees sex as a commitment device after you have made a covenant. You get the, in other words, after you've made the covenant, then you, you do the sign of the covenant. The Bible, you know, when you get, when you get baptized... You get baptized after you've made a commitment to Christ. After you give your life to Christ, then you get baptized. You don't get baptized before because you haven't made the covenant yet. And by the way, if you haven't been baptized, we're going to have a baptism Sunday after Easter 
the Sunday after Easter, we're going to baptize. Anybody that needs to be baptized, if you haven't been baptized, if you didn't get baptized when you gave your life to Christ and you got baptized at camp when you were 12 and then later you gave your life to Christ at 17, you should get baptized again. As a matter of fact, I think I'm going to get baptized because I don't think I got baptized after I gave my life to Christ. I got baptized at camp, but I didn't get baptized at 19. So on Baptism Sunday on the 19th, when I baptize other people, I'm going to get baptized too. So maybe you're an adult like me, and you look back and think, you know, I don't think I got baptized again. So, but when do you get baptized? You get baptized after you give your life to Christ. To give your life, to get baptized before you give your life to Christ is not right. When do you take communion? Communion is a sign of the new covenant. And the Bible says, who takes communion? People who have faith in Christ. You don't just willy-nilly take communion because you think it'd be a good idea. It is a covenant symbol. And sex is a covenant symbol. God created sex to be a covenant symbol after you've made the promise, after you've said, I give you all of my life, I commit myself fully to you until death us do part. Then you get to have sex. After you die. <laughs> but see, we, when you put it backwards, you mess up God's plan. I've given to you, I've given myself to you in covenant to love you even when I don't like you. And now I'm going to give myself to you fully and completely physically. And here's the thing about, here's the thing about sex. And just like marriage, sex is God's idea. Proverbs 15, 18. This is a refrigerator verse for you. May your fountain be blessed. What's that talking about? What do you think it's talking about? That's what it's talking about. May your fountain be blessed. And may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. They said that in the Bible? May you ever be intoxicated with her love. I mean, God's not against sex. He invented it, and he, he made it particularly enjoyable. I mean, he could have made us like salmon. I mean, think about it. Salmon come from an egg that has been placed there by the female when they spawn, they put an egg, and the male then comes along and fertilizes that egg with sperm, and then those eggs grow and become eventually salmon. And about six or seven years later, they swim back upstream as, as adults and lay their eggs and deliver the sperm, and then they die. I mean, he could have made it like that. Well, that was great, honey. See you later. <laughs> but he didn't. He, he particularly made it where he made it where there's a connection, an emotional, physical connection. Deuteronomy 24, 5, this is part of the law. 
If a man has recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year, he is free to stay at home and bring happiness to his wife as he is married, as he, the wife he is married. And we, and we all know what that means. He's watching HGTV and remodeling the bathroom. <laughs> all right? Bringing happiness, to his, <laughs> bringing happiness to his wife. I, you know, I, I skipped something that I want to tell you. Uh, sex is also in marriage is the way to fulfill God's first command. Genesis 1, 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So God's first command, before he said, hey, there's a tree in the garden don't eat from. But before that, his first command was, hey, get busy. He put a little Barry White music, said, okay, it's time to be fruitful and multiply. So, 1 Corinthians 7, 3, Paul is talking to the Corinthians. Now, Corinthians, Corinth was like Vegas on steroids. What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. Corinth was, uh, Corinth was a, you know, I mean, the Romans make debauchery today, they make Mardi Gras look like kids play. That was Corinth all the time. And so, Paul is writing to Christians who have come to Christ in a very sexualized, a very homosexualized, very distorted culture. And so, he's talking about marriage to them because he's saying, listen, hey guys, as Christians, your marriage is going to be different than the world. Your marriage is going to be different than the model that you've seen all of your life. Your, difference, your marriage is going to be different than your parents. Your marriage is going to be different than your grandparents. They were creating a new generation of Christian marriage that they hadn't seen. Think about that. You may be doing that. You may be creating a marriage. You may have come out of a situation. I mean, Tina and I came out of very, very different families. Totally different families. Tina's family was, uh, they We were different. <laughs> I, I, loved, I, I loved her family. But her, fa her family, although they had had, her, her dad had, had run away from home when he, was, when he was like 14 or 15 years old because his father was a preacher that didn't take care of his family like he should have. Uh, he was off preaching all the time and didn't take care of his family and his wife, uh, which is not what you're supposed to do. But that was, he was that, and that distorted view then messed up his dad's view of following Christ, right? And so that, her family didn't follow Christ, and, and, and Tina wasn't taken to church until she, through an aunt, got saved at the age of 16. I, I mean, I, I was at church all the time. I, I had very godly parents, and her, her parents were not, well, yeah, they were ungodly. That's, I mean, they were, I mean, they drank and smoked and, you know, I mean, a big part of their life was r racing horses. That's not evil in itself. It was just, I'm just saying this, and I loved them all. And I, I was able to lead her dad to the Lord before he, before he passed. Uh, that was a great joy in my life. Uh, and, but we, we came from two, two distinct families. 
And so, we, you know, even then, even we in the ministry are trying to do the Christian family thing that we haven't always, you know, you don't always see it. So Paul's saying to the Corinthians, hey, your marriage is going to be different. The, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. Wow. I mean, it, that seems like in this culture, he's saying this backwards because you, you would have started, hey, wives, you need to do what your husband says. But he, he, doesn't, he doesn't start there. He starts with, hey, listen, I know you haven't heard this before. This is news to you guys. But the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Some of you ain't praying that much. You didn't even get that. It's good preaching right there. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of control. Now, Paul is saying this to the Romans at a time when women were a legal possession. They had Zippo rights. Rights for women were not taken away by the church. They were created by Christ and the church. I mean, Paul's already said, hey, listen, you guys are equal. Submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. He has created equal value for men and women. And he says, so he says to the men, hey, you traditional, this is a, a blow to the traditional view that still exists in some way that the guy could have sex with whoever he wanted to, but if the woman did, she was despised. She was a slut and a whore. But what Paul is saying is, listen, the rules apply to both of you. There's not two sets of rules. There's not guys' rules and girls' rules. There's just the rules. You, you need to keep yourselves holy before God, and you need to honor each other and serve each other. You see, in the Roman culture, men took their wives in order to have legal heirs. While sexual pleasure, if it was sought at all, was sought outside the marriage. At the pagan temple or with a mistress or with prostitution. So what Paul is saying, he's saying let marriage be most mutually sacrificial and mutually satisfying. Paul is saying that sex in marriage should be frequent and reciprocal, and that one spouse is not allowed to deny sex to the other. I thought I'd get an amen from somebody on that. <laughs> You're just afraid to say amen, I know. So see, we get back to the first week of serving one another, unselfishly giving ourselves to one another, to where we have to submit to one another and serve one another out of the empowerment of the Spirit of God. Because, I, I don't know if you notice this, 
God made men and women deliberately different. And I'm not just talking physically. But he made them different. One of my favorite songs, it's a, it's a parody, and, and it's a crazy song, but, and you've probably never heard it, but it's by a group called Fly the Concords, uh, where he talks about making love. Uh, and, you know, you might, you might want to listen to it. You probably won't. But, uh, but in the song, he's, one of the main lines of the song is just, making love for two, making love for two minutes. And that's, that's the heart of the problem. A man's sexual response is very rapid. It takes just minutes for a man to become aroused and have an orgasm. But God made women different. It takes women three days. <laughs> There's going to be flowers, a meal involved. You're going to wash the dishes. Maybe vacuum the carpet. <laughs> Women are different in how they respond. The environment in which when women can respond sexually is totally different. What kind of environment does a man need? Any environment. <laughs> Air. <laughs> oxygen. If there's oxygen, he's good to go. And it doesn't have to be a lot of oxygen, just enough oxygen. God, God specifically made us different because it requires pursuit and it requires effort and it requires energy. This is why people are drawn to pornography because pornography is easy. But life and marriage is a challenge. I started to say hard, but that seems like the wrong word. So, <laughs> By the power of the Spirit of God, we must serve one another as we serve Christ. How do, we, how do we do? We're so different. This is so difficult. Men and women are so different. How do we do it? We have to do it in the power that God gives us by his Holy Spirit. We have to serve each other out of our love for Christ and our covenant love for each other. The, the hard thing about life is not loving people the way you want to be loved, but loving people the way they need to be loved. Of recognizing what they need, not what you need. That's not love. That's what we call lust. It's loving people the way they need to be loved. So we have to create. How do we create that? We create that. We build that by putting the priority into the marriage. It has to be first. Tim, Tim Keller in the book, The Meaning of Marriage, says this. The fundamental rule of marriage is that time marches on. You don't marry one woman or one man, but many. Time, children, illness, and age all bring changes that may require creative Disciplined responses to rebuild a sexual intimacy that was easier at an earlier time. If you don't confront and adapt to these changes, they'll erode your sex life and eventually your marriage. So, <clears throat> today's point is this. If you want to have a healthy marriage, you've got to make it a priority. I could have said that in the beginning, we'd been done. But what's the fun in that? Let's stand.
Thank you, Lord. Now, some of your marriages are in trouble. Some of you are in trouble because you've, had, you've got your priorities in the wrong place. And sometimes there are seasons of difficulty. There are seasons of time when you're really busy. But if those seasons become, become where it's life as usual, then you have to make changes. There, there are, you know, there are sometimes very challenging seasons. But if, if you're in one of those seasons, if your marriage is not a priority, you need, you need, maybe you need to apologize to your spouse and say, I'm sorry I've been so busy. I'm sorry I spent so much time in this, with this activity, these things. So much time in getting money. So much time in spending money. So much time in sports. So whatever. Whatever's not a priority. Make your marriage a priority. And we need the Lord's help. Father, we ask in Jesus' name to help us to put our spouse as a priority. We know that marriage can't work if it's just an add-on, if it's just, some, just an afterthought. Lord, help us to see our marriage and our spouse as a priority. And if we're not, and if we're oblivious, if, if we have no idea what we're doing in the marriage that is destructive, if we're oblivious to that, Lord, <laughs> you said that the Spirit of God would lead us into all truth. We ask you, Lord, by your word and by these instructions and by the Spirit of God, you would open our eyes and help us to see where we're, where we're making mistakes and doing damage to our marriage so that we can do the right thing. And we acknowledge, Lord, that this is hard and that we need your help. We ask you, Lord, to help us. Empower us by your Spirit so that we would display, especially in our families, love, joy, peace, faithfulness, fruitfulness, that we would see the fruit of the Spirit manifested through us, especially in our families. In Jesus' name, amen.